at the end of the day, most people want to do a good job. Our job as a leader is to till the soil to enable them to do that. And when they sort of run into those times where it's tough or it's hard, is to be there to listen to, to understand, and to remind them of the things that they are doing well, to sort of help pick themselves up so they can move forward. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hi, leaders, and welcome back to the Leadership 480 Podcast. I'm your host, Beth Alm. And today we're talking about one of the biggest changes in a leader's career, becoming a mid-level leader. The promotion from managing at the front line to becoming a leader of other leaders can be a profound difference for a lot of folks as they move from getting work done at the front line and start to really feel the pressure as they lead teams of leaders, take on bigger responsibilities to the business, influence across larger networks, and through all of that, you've got to manage yourself under all that increased pressure. So my guest here today is Andrew Gill, an industrial organizational psychologist who has worked for more than 30 years in executive and leadership coaching and has worked to design specialized leadership programs for mid-level leaders here at DDI. Andrew, welcome to the Leadership 480 podcast. Uh, thanks, Beth. And I would actually add to the profile, I was uh, a mid to senior level leader for 20-something years as well. So while I have the, the technical expertise, if you like, on the background as an organizational industrial psychologist, I also have the practical experience of actually being a mid-level leader. So not just on the outside looking in, you've got your own personal stories behind the scenes. So both in your experience and as you've coached and worked with so many mid-level leaders in your career, what's the big surprise for leaders who are newly stepping into these roles? Like, what don't they see coming? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, it gets back to that old adage, really, of uh, what got you here won't take you there. The challenge is that they step into the mid-level and continue to try functioning as a frontline leader. Uh, and that poses probably three major issues for them. Uh, one, they keep trying to, to really still do too many things themselves uh, rather than sort of more broadly leveraging the skills of their team. Um, secondly, mid-level is much more about influence. Uh, as a frontline leader, you have direct control over your people but as a mid-level leader, you've now got to influence a range of people to get things done. And a lot of them miss that part of it. So you've got to have much better relationships, particularly with your peers. The third thing, most critically, is they need to better balance the short term with the longer term sort of strategy and transformation. Uh, you've still got to deliver short term results, but you've got to put time aside to make sure you're making the changes uh, that you need to sort of respond to customers, respond to the marketplace, technology, the environment, and often really just making sure that you're uh, embracing the agendas set down by senior managers or the organization in terms of where they want to take uh, the business. So you touched on this a little bit, but as you get to mid-level leadership, there's a big difference in who's on your team. You know, you go from managing and coaching a group of doers at the front line to having leaders who are reporting to you. And you mentioned how how much influence starts to get um, to become your way of becoming successful. So as you make the shift from a small group of people who's focused on doing to leading other leaders, 
What's really significant in that and how you have to shift your own mindset? Yeah, it's... <laughs> It really is quite a big shift. I mean, I don't want to sort of sell this short. Uh, as a frontline leader, you can stay very involved in a lot of things, extremely close to things. If you try to do that, a mid-level leader, you will drown under the weight of responsibility. Um, you've really got to learn how to leverage. Leverage your people, leverage your partners. Uh, it's much more critical to make sure that you are reaching out. Your capability is the capability of the people around you. And how well you leverage them is going to determine how effective you are as a mid-level leader. It's so interesting because I think, at least what I've seen in my career, is a lot of times leaders of at the front line, the idea of leading a team also means you step in to kind of pinch it for anybody who's, yeah. you know, I, I can help you out. I can take on the extra work and things like that. And then... Being a team player at the mid-level, though, it, that's going to be a disaster if you do that. It, you can do a bit of that. Um, and you, you actually, you should do a bit of that because <laughs> you don't want to lose contact uh, mm -hmm. with your customers, certainly. And you need to. it helps you gain perspective of the people working for you in terms of how they're seeing issues. But if that's your predominant leadership style, you cannot sustain that. Uh, the other problem is that these people below you, you're trying to motivate and inspire them and move them forward. If you're jumping in at every moment to do their things or solve their problems or rescue them, they're not going to grow. They're not going to prove. They're not going to feel empowered. And so, you know, you're really sort of uh, de-escalating the value of them if you do that. This is much more about if if you work in the frontline mid-level leadership and you're thinking about what I can do to make this work, that's the wrong focus. You gotta work in a mid-level leadership and think about what does my team need to do to make this work? The success of the team is your success. If they shine, you shine. And so you're much more focused on trying to create an environment that enables your team to be successful as well as some of your partners because they have a big impact on you or you have a big impact on them. So your success is also dependent on those around you. I'm glad you brought up uh, the creation of the environment because I think this is an area a lot of mid-level leaders miss out on. So we've talked at DDI often about mid-level leaders um, having a tremendous impact on the culture of the team and really setting uh, this, the environment and the situation they're in. And they're leading whole departments and big projects now um, and a lot of leaders don't realize how their habits and style dramatically shift the tone for others. So as you step into these mid-level roles, how does your role in setting the culture change? Oh, it, it's it, it's much greater. I mean, you know, the, the fact that you no longer have that sort of day-to-day -day involvement with everybody, you're one step removed from it, the tone you set becomes even more critical. So, for example, if you're going to say, I want to encourage people's ideas, you know, I want feedback, I want criticism, you can't just sort of say that to people and think that it's suddenly going to happen. You've got to act in a sort of way. You've got to set that up. So you've got to put in mechanisms that enable you to get that information back. And so at a tactical level, that can be, for example, at a meeting, rather than just throwing a question out, sending questions prior to the meeting. 
that can be when somebody comes to you with what is a completely stupid idea. You don't call it a completely stupid idea, but you need to at least talk it through, ask questions, try to understand it. Because as much as it might appear to be a stupid idea, there could be a kernel of something in there that you can use. And also, if you shut down ideas and you start dismissing ideas, then you'll stop getting them. This has to be conscious. If you're deciding you want to create an environment where people can generate ideas and really run with ideas, you have to consciously think about all the things you need to do to reinforce that environment. If you don't, it's not going to happen. What is the role of kind of of inspiration play here? So, you know, as you're asking people to generate ideas, you know, they're getting excited, they're getting bought in, like you're you're setting the tone for for inspiration of them getting engaged about their work. Yeah, I mean, uh, inspiration is I mean, I would say that, you know, leadership is a contact sport. You're it's a day to day thing. I think. A lot of leaders confuse inspiration with some sort of great email that goes out that jazzes everybody up or turning up at the quarterly meeting and saying what a great bunch of folks we have here sort of working with us. And I'm not saying that doesn't have a role, but you've got to figure that on a day-to-day basis. So inspiration becomes, think of it as every conversation you have. So when you're meeting with people, you've got to listen to them. You've got to empathize to show you understand recognizing the ideas that come from people. They have a good idea, calling that out, taking the opportunity to sort of step out informally and then thank people for something or for putting the additional effort in. When you are sort of trying to position things, thinking about what's in it for the people in your team, not just what's in it for the business or the customers, but where's the whiff and for them? What are they going to get out of it? And then supporting them. You know, it's one thing, if you want them to stretch and step in a new direction, What are you doing as a leader to provide the support? Where are the resources they need? Where's the guidance they need? They're going to fail. How are you going to let them take risks? How are they going to learn from that fail? What's going to be your reaction to it? All these things motivate and inspire. At the end of the day, most people want to do a good job. Our job as a leader is to till the soil to enable them to do that. And when they sort of run into those times where it's tough or it's hard, is to be there to listen to, to understand, and to remind them of the things that they are doing well to sort of help pick themselves up so they can move forward. I love the simplicity in your response of where uh, where inspiration comes from on that day-to-day level. There's not a pressure to have, you know, I've got to create quotable quotes that belong on the wall here. <laughs> like it's really just those everyday conversations. Thanking people is an easy way to inspire. I, I, I just love that simplicity that it, it's not as tough as you realize, but it's a lot more uh, regular and consistent. And, and, when, and when you thank them, it's not just the attaboy or girl or good luck or great job. It is the, it's thanking them specifically. I mean, I think it's what DDI teaches in it's, you know, be specific. You know, I really appreciate your idea around the customers. I think it's enabled us to look at this problem from a different perspective. Yeah, it shows that you've listened. It shows that you're, you're taking an effort, that you're really acknowledging the specific thing they do. Um, you know, it, 
these are people. You know, you, you treat them like people that treat them like you want to be treated yourself. It's not that you can't be demanding. It's not that you shouldn't be demanding. It's not that you shouldn't address performance issues. But, you know, look for those opportunities to acknowledge what people are doing and show them that the work they're doing is appreciated. And I think sharing back that that impact, as you mentioned, and how it has affected the business and metrics is such a powerful uh, way to make people feel proud. They don't want lip service. They want to show they made a difference. And uh, that's the big scary thing is is about, I think, mid-level leadership is that you have responsibility for these big, significant metrics and you need to know how you're going to drive those. Yeah. So as mid-level leaders take on this mantle, whether it's profit and loss responsibility or um, other key business metrics that they're responsible for, how do you see that pressure to achieve play out in their roles? Yeah, I think they're surprised when they first move in. It's just how big the spotlight is on the results. Um, you know, often as a frontline leader, your results are quite well defined and you can sort of manage to that. And you're also personally involved in them. At a mid-level, it gets way more complex um, because you've not just got the short-term delivery results, you've got the transformational goals as well. You have to worry about the goals of your boss and how they're being measured because I tell you what, if they're worried about it, they're going to be focused on it. And if you don't understand that, if you're not taking that into account, you're going to be in trouble. And the challenge becomes is because you the spotlight is greater. You're more exposed, not just for what you're doing, but you're also then exposed personally. So then the fear of failure, I've now been given this opportunity. I'm not worthy. Can I really do this? I've never done this before. And so that drives, you, you get the survival instinct takeover in some leaders. And so you either get this flight response where they become super cautious and quiet and try to get their head down and not notice. And so they don't take the risks or chances they need to, or then you get these other mid-level leaders that become adamant. They sort of defend their position. They argue their position. They become less open to sort of feedback and input. They feel they have to have all the answers and do everything themselves. And that's when you then start to see the problems of them sort of putting themselves out there and, and starting to make a lot of mistakes because they're not reaching out, they're not taking input, and they're not seeking feedback and advice from others. Um, so I think it's tough. I think metrics are tough. Uh, for a leader, it's really when you step into this role and you've got these metrics, it, it's stepping back and thinking about the reality of what that means. Um, and not just the sort of the big yearly goals, but how do you break that down? How do you drop that into quarterly goals? How do you break those quarterly goals down into activities that people can see and feel? How do you get alignment with your people around what needs to be done? Making sure you get their input to add to the reality of what can be done within that three-month period. And then you basically, you check in on that. You monitor, you track that, you have conversations around that. You've got to break these goals into things that people can see, things that people can feel, things that people can measure. Um, for me, at this level, lead indicators way more important than the lag indicator. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, my best analogy is if you've ever you know, watched a, a, a sports coach, they don't sit there saying to their team, you need to go score more goals, you need to go score more goals. What they do is they say, you need to take these actions, you need to defend here, you need to attack here. 
That's the lead indicators. Those are the things that mid-level leaders really need to focus on. Mm, that's a great analogy. I think your point around the fear of failure is such a powerful one here. Um, you know, a lot of times when you're sitting in the frontline role, you know, you're an individual contributor or even up to a manager, you're sitting there like, how come nobody higher up takes my ideas? I've got such great things. And yeah. then if you're lucky enough to get in that role, you suddenly find yourself on the other side and saying, I can't be taking all of those. I'd really be sticking my neck out for those. So it, as they're tempted with this weight of responsibility, they're tempted to be more conservative. They're afraid of failing. How do you break through that to kind of, um, you know, and essentially manage upwards? So manage the people above you to say, hey, we're going to take these risks. How do you how do you get to that level that you can maybe take some smart risks and without putting your own career on the line. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's the hamburger level. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you're stuck between these expectations from above, from below, and from peers and partners, and often as well as customers. Um, yeah, it, I mean, one thing, I'll talk about up because I, I think one big mistake that mid level leaders make is they forget to do enough with the relationship with their manager. Um, one of the best bosses I had, probably the best boss I had, um, and she would always tell me the story that when she would go to her manager, the first thing she would say to her manager is, uh, you know, when they were doing their sort of their weekly meeting, is what's on your agenda, what's important to you, what's happening with you, because her intention was to really understand what was critical, what was worrying them. So then, in the conversation, she had an understanding of the context of what was going on. But it also showed that she sort of cared about her manager. So it really helped strengthen the relationship. And sometimes because of that, over time, this manager would start asking her questions or, hey, you know, I'm glad we're here. I've got some stuff to talk about, but I'd love your ideas on this. Building this relationship with your boss is really critical because at some point, your boss is going to come down and ask you to do things that you know or your people know won't work. You've got to be able to push back. You've got to be able to have that conversation to be an effective mid-level leader. And I will tell you now, the single bit of criticism that mid-level leaders get from their people is that they feel their boss doesn't push back hard enough. And the reason their boss doesn't push back hard enough is they don't have a good enough relationship with their boss. So that's one. Can I add one more thing? I, it's funny when I coach leaders because this comes out quite a bit, this boss relationship. And some of them will—they're annoyed with their boss. Their boss does this, and their boss does that. And what I find they do is that they then sort of try to go around their boss or avoid their boss. That is completely the wrong thing to do. Mm. You have to move towards your boss. Like you have to move towards the issues. So you know, if your boss is complaining, they're not getting enough information from you. Ask them, what do you need? What are you looking for? If you're sending through reports and they're still saying. I'm not getting enough. Talk about that. Maybe they want more interpretation. Maybe they want to sort of understand some of the actions that you're taking. Don't take the criticism or the issues from your boss on face value. Step towards them. Ask questions. Understand them. Get to understand where your boss is coming from. It will make your life so much easier. So as you talk about pushing back a little bit with your boss, who's probably a more senior level executive at the company, there's 
a huge, it takes some courage to do that. And, and there's a temptation to always say yes and, and say what your boss wants to hear. Um, you know, yes, we can take that on. My team will get that done. And it's so, so tempting, especially because, you know, a lot of executives are very persuasive and very insistent on, on their strategy. What's your, if you don't do that correctly, and you mentioned this is the big mistake most mid-level leaders make, what happens if you're, if you kind of fail to do this well and push back? What happens if you fail to do this? Yeah. Or if you do it well? If you fail to do it. So if you don't push back against your executive, what's going to happen to your team? Yeah, I, I, I'm going to take another angle of that because I think it's, it's how you push back is just as important as the pushback. You know, if your boss is going to ask you to do something, you're going, no, I can't. I got this and this and this. That's not going to work. Um, so if you're going to push back, questions are your friend. So you you should always start by clarifying. You talk, help me understand that, et cetera, et cetera. If you feel your team can't handle the load, you can say to them things like, we can take it on. My concern is the workload. We have these priorities. Can we talk about which ones are most critical? So you sort of get a sense of that's a way of educating your boss mm -hmm. to really understand what's on your plate because they don't always know. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, I think you can say to your boss is, you know, we can do this. To do this, these are the things that we would need. This is some of the resources. This is some of the support. Can we discuss what that looks like? This is a dialogue. So it, it's not just a matter of saying, no, we can't. It's how you push back. And part of that is promoting mutual understanding between your boss and yourself as to what are the implications of picking up this particular thing. If you do that, nine times out of 10, your boss will relate to you. If you've got a highly political boss, okay, that may be a little bit, bit different. You may have to adopt another strategy. But most bosses know that your success is their success. They want you to succeed. Um, so most of them will be open to have that conversation in the right way. That's such a powerful lesson in influencing. And, you know, at the same time, one of the things that I have heard from some mid-level leaders is that um, one of the things that has surprised them is that, you know, as they moved up the ranks, they got more influence over what gets done, and that was great, but they were actually a little surprised that you kind of lose some independence to some degree as they have so many more stakeholders, you know, you think early on, like, you know, once I'm in a higher level leadership position, I can kind of say yes or no, yeah. but then you realize that whatever my team does affects that other department over there and the team we need to, we're depending on isn't getting their things done. So there's this huge network of people that's now connected yeah. and surprising how little independence yeah. you have. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I, it's one of the biggest areas I coach to is networking. And I always say to people that, you know, in networking, um, and, and you've got to think about it as a mid-level leader. It's not what you need for the, your network. It's the value you bring. So the first thing you've got to figure out is what is the value I would bring to a network? The second thing you've got to think about is who are my key stakeholders? Who do I need in my network? Who do I need operationally? Who do I need strategically? Who do I need personally with regards to my career? The next thing is to proactively connect with these folks. And a lot of that is actually a lot easier than you think. If you've got a peer or a partner who's dependent on you or you're dependent on them, 
you reach out with a sort of get to know or a check-in meeting. You talk about their agenda. You talk about your agenda. Um, you discuss, you know, how can we resolve conflicts between our two groups? And having those kind of check-in meetings are good to do formally at least a couple of times a year. The other thing you can do is, is use these partners as part of your kitchen cabinet, your cabinet advisors. Um, so when you have an idea or a strategy or something you're thinking about, you take it to these folks and you float it past them. And you ask, boy, I'd love to get your perspective. You, know, you have such a you know, strong sales perspective or a commercial perspective. Um, I'm thinking about doing this with a team. What do you think? Uh, here's what it is. Uh, what do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Uh, if we were going to implement it, you know, what kind of resources support would we need? And by the way, any thoughts you'd add to that? The third thing you can do is pressure test your strategy with these folks. So once you get a little bit further down the track and you have the, the strategy formed, you go to them and you say to them, I want you to pressure test this for me. I want you to challenge me from every different angle that you can on this. And this not only helps broaden your strategic thinking skills, but it also strengthens your relationship as you're giving permission for these people to criticize you and work with you. And then you can offer the same thing back to them. Um, partnerships are phenomenally critical at this level. If you don't have the right peer relationships, and I mean relationship established, it's, it can be very, very hard to get things done and even harder to resolve issues in the middle of a crisis. That's such powerful advice, though, on uh, getting their feedback before you're kind of ready to implement the strategy so they're not kind of getting hit with it fresh and, and from all sides yeah. and you've got you've got their buy-in before this thing it really launches so that you know um hey they're gonna be bought in they've they've weighed in on this they've they've helped to shape it and they might be more receptive to to whatever it is you're working on. Yeah that that approach of floating the idea is not mine. I, I got this from a guy I coached and he was a, a mid to senior level leader uh, in organization um it's utility actually and he was charged with changing the safety culture of this company when the people in the company thought they had a great safety culture. Yeah. And so he was going to be told to go out there and convince these people who thought they were good at something that they weren't and need to do something better. And he told me about this approach, this kind of float the idea. The advantage was he would connect with people at different parts of the organization, but in doing so, he also started to build allies. So by the time he developed the strategy, he'd incorporate a lot of ideas that he'd heard. And so he actually had people on side as well. And to your point, the other thing was what you said, they weren't surprised when this thing came out. And mm -hmm. I thought it was a great approach. And I've used it now with a number of people I've coached. And I've got the same feedback. They've found it very useful, useful not only just to progress things, but also to know when to stop doing things. You know, when they've had ideas and they go and talk to a few people and they find out that thing's never going to fly. Um, so this is kind of failing fast. Understanding it's not going to work is just as valuable as, as sort of finding that it will. So we've talked a lot about the pressures coming in from, you know, your boss, your team, your <laughs> people, the networks around you. But, you know, amid all of that, you have yourself and the classic depiction I've always thought of of like that middle manager is someone who's kind of getting crushed from expectations from above, the pressure from the people who rely on them below. Um, 
and sometimes being in that middle spot, it's not it's not very glamorous. It doesn't always have the, have the best uh, reputation. So when you're working in this role, how do you try to save yourself from that from getting crushed, that burnout, um, and find the joy in the job? Not that you're just in this role till something better comes along, but really find success here as a middle manager. Yeah, boy, I mean, that's a very broad question. Um, <laughs> it's an incredibly broad question. I, I, I'll speak for me personally, because I, I think every middle manager finds joy in other ways. Um, I, you know, at, at the end of the day, when you sort of finish your day of work, you know, you ask yourself, you know, did I do what I, I could do today? So I think that's, you know, acknowledging yourself is definitely one thing. Acknowledging your own skills, acknowledging your own capabilities, acknowledging your own effort, keeping some reality on that a little bit, I think is definitely part of it. I think that's one. I, the second thing gets down to the team itself is, for me, I always took a lot of satisfaction from the success of my team. And a lot of mid-level leaders do. And so if that's something that motivates you, you know, what's been the success either with individuals you work with or with the team as a whole? You've got to look again for the successes. It's easy to get buried in the problems and look at the successes. I think thirdly, it's progress. Um, a lot of goals you'll set may be unrealistic or you won't have the resources, but are you progressing? Can you look at the progress you're making? Can you celebrate that sort of progress you're making? Can you sort of recognize that? I think those are the three big things. So look at yourself and acknowledge the things that you're doing well. Look at your team uh, and get rewards from the efforts and the changes that you see there. And thirdly, what's the sort of progress you're making? And if you do that, and I always found if I did that, I would feel at least some sense of satisfaction. Um, did I achieve everything I wanted to do? No. Did I achieve it as fast as the organisation wanted me to? Probably not. But I was always sort of progressing and I always felt there was improvement and there was growth going on. Mm -hmm. And priorities play a role there, right? I mean, in terms of did you move the needle on the right things? Yeah. Actually, that's a really good point. I, it, checking in that you are focusing your time. You know, DDI has a thing called a radar chart. And you sort of you sit down and you look at kind of where you're spending your time. And are you spending on things that link to, you know, the strategy of the organization as well as the sort of day-to-day -day operational things? I like that exercise. I like that exercise of stepping back from the day-to-day -day and thinking about your priorities. Am I focusing energy where I need to focus it? And again, it gets back to that sort of relationship with your manager, checking in with them, talking through your priorities with them on a regular basis to make sure that you're aligned on the effort and where you're spending your time. Um, I had this conversation yesterday with somebody and you know, it was fascinating, but her, the boss said to the senior leader, you've got to start working with your team to, to, to highlight to them what they need to be not doing, not just what they're doing. And I thought that was great guidance to her because she wasn't doing that with them. And so she's sort of piling stuff onto them and they are literally burning out. And the big problem she's got is she's not keeping them focused on the right things. She's letting them run with what they want to do, but then she's adding all the expectations of the organization and they're saying, we can't do it. 
So understanding your priorities, understanding where you add value, both short-term and certainly longer-term, is absolutely critical. That's such a great way to think about, you know, at the end of the day, where where you found joy as, as a middle manager, where you were able to accomplish something big, because it's not going to be the same as at the front line where you said, I got 10 tasks done today, check, check, check. It's It's a much bigger picture. So the last question I have for you is one that I ask all of our guests on the show. Uh, can you share with me a moment of leadership that changed your life and the way you thought about leadership? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've had a number of moments of leadership that have changed my life. Um, I would say failure is is probably the biggest place that I learned from uh, when I uh, was at DDI and I took over. Um, a senior sort of leadership role of consulting, it absolutely went to my head. And I stopped connecting with people. I stopped talking to people. I stopped mm. spending time with them. I was still spending time with clients, but I wasn't spending time with people. And I failed badly. I, I got disconnected from my team. I, things were just not uh, occurring. Um, and really, the, I just was not doing the job. I wasn't growing people. We started getting turnover. And I remember I got taken out of the role at the time and I remember it hit me really, really hard. And I, I realized I had two options. I could either wallow in self-pity or figure out what was wrong. So I went the other way. And that was probably one of the biggest sonic lessons I had that just if you can take that time to learn from the failure and understand what you did well and what you didn't do and try to do that differently, then that's. Uh, that that can be a sea change in how you act. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing was just taking risks with my career, um, stepping into things either with clients or into leadership roles. I moved from Australia to the US, one of the best things I ever did. Um, and I, I encourage leaders, you know, if you're offered some position um, and it's a stretch and it's assignments are large, I really encourage you to step into that. You'll be surprised what you can and can't do. The third lesson a little bit for me, it relates actually to the first one is humility. I, I <laughs> It's very easy to get caught up in your head about your own capability and success. And I remember I, I was uh, an officer in, in the Australian Army and I'd got my promotion, the first lieutenant, and I'm walking down the road and people are looking at me and I'm feeling super good. I was kind of fit and I felt I looked really good and I was just confident in myself. I remember getting back to my car and I sat down and my zipper was undone. And not only was my <laughs> zipper undone, but my shirt tail was hanging out. And that was, for me, just a lesson in leadership around humility is that, you know, be careful to get caught up in your own propaganda and your own success. And you'll get a lot of that and you'll get a lot of nice people saying things, but take a step back. Take a step of reality. And on both sides, don't get overly critical, don't get overly confident, but be self-aware. And I always, now when I coach people, and, and particularly around self-awareness, it, it's those three things with self-awareness. One, as a mid-level leader, really know who you are. Like, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? You know, in your personality, what enables you, what derails your work against you? Secondly, ask yourself, how can I be okay with that? And a lot of mid-level leaders, a lot of leaders for that matter, if they're not comfortable with who they are, they get quite defensive about it and they won't change it. 
be okay with that. How can you be okay with your weaknesses? I'm a procrastinator. I know that's who I am. I've had to figure out how not to be a procrastinator, but I had to accept that was part of my personality. Once I did that, I could then do something about it. And that leads to the third question, figure out what you're going to do with what you know about yourself. So once you accept it, what are you going to do? How are you going to leverage your strengths? How are you going to manage your, your sort of your limitations and your weaknesses? Where are you going to gravitate to in terms of work, your career? Um, if you're going to take risks, what does that mean for you? What do you need to do? If you can answer those three questions, who am I? How can I be okay with it? What do I do with it? It'll make your life a lot easier at a leader at any level, but particularly as a mid-level leader. And one of the great things there is when you know what your weaknesses are, a lot of times there's somebody on your team who can help you and, and fill that gap. You say, I'm bad at this. Help me out. Yeah. And there's, I mean, that, that, you're absolutely right. And also there are people on your team, if you give them permission to, will let you know that because you can't see everything else in yourself. Um, I, I, I'm going to call out um, you know, one of my leaders. I work with people on the reporting right now, but a guy called Scott Wolf. And I always remember he came to me at the end of a, uh, a meeting and he said, he said to me, uh, Andrew, you're not being clear about what you want. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you talked about it. And we talked it through. And I, I always appreciated him coming in and giving me the feedback because, you know, it's not easy to walk into your boss and say, hey, you're doing this wrong. <laughs> and after that, he would do that. I'd often check in with him. How'd that go? What did that happen? And I was always grateful for that. And I was always I was grateful for anybody who would have the courage to come in and say, that was awful, or I think that could be better, or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And I think as a leader, if, if your people can do that and do that in private, and you can listen to that, and you don't have to agree with it, you may disagree with it, but if you get something out of it, you can do something with it. So I think that, for me, probably is the other lesson as a mid-level leader. Oh, those are such great stories, Andrew. Maybe my favorite story of, you know, every every leader may be walking around with their zipper down. That might be my favorite takeaway from this. <laughs> so I knew don't you'd be remember too hard that. on yourself. <laughs> I knew you'd remember that. Yeah, I, I just think it, it's it, it is the greatest the greatest experiences of my life, you know, in, in, in the work life about being a leader. But it's also an artist. It really is. And I think it the final thing I would say to you is, you know, I think as a leader and I had a, a direct report of mine who, who had the potential to be a great leader. The problem was he thought he was a good one. He thought he was a great one already. And that always was getting in his way. And if he could step back and, and that sense of humility is there are still things to learn, still things I could do better, then I think he could have potentially been a great leader. Um, so, you know, don't get caught up in your hype. Don't get caught up in your own head too much, but keep that sense of reality, you know. That is the perfect way to finish. So thank you so much, Andrew, for being here on the Leadership 480 podcast today. My pleasure. And thank you to our listeners who all took part of their 480 minutes to be with us. And remember to make every moment of leadership count.